it's my first podcast, so. Is it really? Yeah, yeah, it really is, yeah. No! Oh my gosh, okay, I feel a lot of pressure now. Welcome back, everybody. It's your host, Natalia, back to host another episode of More Than a Pretty Face. Today, I am so, so jazzed to be talking with the one and only Amy Manson. Amy, you are an actress. Incredible. Delightful. You've been in truly one of my favorite shows, Once Upon a Time, so already (laughs) you are up there. Um, But would you like to introduce yourself to the folks? I'm Amy. I'm a Scotswoman, um, an actress, and yeah, a best friend, a daughter, a sister. (laughs) You're all the things. Um, So I (laughs) want. So I have to. I have to first ask, obviously, about Once Upon a Time. Um, And even though that was a few years ago now, what was it like? One, I think, like. Playing a Disney princess and also coming into like a cast that had already been together for so long and having to kind of find your own. Firstly, I loved the Pixar movie. Um, so I, and I loved what, yeah, it's so, so good. <laughs> amazing. Um, everything you do is phenomenal. So, um, I love what the boys did with, with bringing Merida to life. Um, I just love, um, I don't know, I loved her spunk. I loved her, who she is, what she stands for as a woman. Obviously, I can relate to the fact that she's Scottish um, <laughs> and the heritage and, you know, the, the balls that she has and that get up and go attitude. And, you know, she's a fair player and she can do what any guy is capable of doing physically um, and and courageously. At the same time, the the cast were wonderful. Robert Carlyle, of course, was just a godsend. <laughs> uh, the banter was wonderful there, and our storylines were, yeah, they were dreamy. It was such a wonderful show to be a part of, and so much fun. And that's what it's about, isn't it? It's just about, you know, respecting the form, respecting one another, respecting yourself within, you know, this this big machine that is our film or world. So I, I'm interested to know, like, what it was like being on set with, because, like, that cast is so interesting because it's a mix of, like, people from the UK and American actresses, um, actors and actresses. So did you, were, I mean, did you feel like a kinship? You were like, okay, I'm not the only, like, foreigner on set. Did it, did that kind of make it easier? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was just a amalgamation of so many nationalities. And that's that's the joy of it. You know, you're always learning. You're always learning, aren't we? And um, I just learned so much on that show from all these different humans. And, and they just so happened to be beautiful at the same time, beautiful <laughs> spirits and energies. And, you know, it was really, I think it was the first time actually that I worked in what was in Canada, in Vancouver, which I fell in love with. Um, so it was, yeah, it was definitely, it was weird being on my own. And I think it's the first time I spent that amount of time alone um, uh, and abroad. But everybody was was super. And that's the main thing. So you might feel a lo- lonely, but you're never alone, right? So w- when you say alone, does it like usually you travel with your family when you go on shoots or do most of you like your filming take pl- place in Scotland? No, I actually do. No, um, well, all over the world. Uh, the only other time I did a show in South Africa, and that was about six, seven months shoot. But this was this was the longest stint I had been away on a job. So you know, when you're working, you can't, you know, you can't hop on a plane and and take yourself off somewhere. Or it's just that you're there focusing on the job at hand, and um, and you're on their time and their schedules, and and you you spend a lot of time on your own prepping in hotel rooms and the novelty wears off eventually, <laughs> you know, and you, you just kind of, I'm, I'm an adventurous spirit. So, um, I, I mean, the adventure was Merida, I guess that yeah. was it, wasn't it? She was, that was the beauty of being over there. And I was so grateful to be over there in such a beautiful country. 
Your your hair looked incredible, also. In, I love that. I it, always want me to go. <laughs> I was like, my word, they did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 that was a wig. No, I used to. I was like, it's definitely a wig, but it looks incredible. <laughs> it looks, yeah, yeah, did do. But, but I did. I offered the um, uh, makeup designer. I said, look, do you mind if like maybe we actually dye my hair? And she says, I, I mean, it does look like a bouffant now but we need more we need more so like, they wanted like that red red that, red like, bright like yeah. cartoon red yeah mm-hmm. so now that i've completely fangirled over once upon a time which i needed to do um yeah. <laughs> i was like i have to get this out of the way uh i do want to know you know like start at the beginning who is amy how did she get started in acting why who what where when why how I, I, you know, I was thinking about, my dad sent me this weird video today and I was like, it was kind of a pointless video, but it just made me laugh. And I think I don't give him enough credit in my life for actually giving me the means to play and be silly and to not worry about my appearance or, you know, necessarily what what I'm saying. He's just a a nice, well-rounded human being. And I think maybe... The, that adventurous side of him is is where the spark or the bug, as as they say, came from. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was my my grandfather that helped out um, with sending me to a drama school, a Saturday drama school, and I fell in love with the teacher there and just her methods. Um, and there was a scene that was so close to home, um, and it was to do with with how I felt at the time that, that my stepmother was taking my dad away. Of course, that wasn't happening. They were <laughs> just madly in love. But at the time, it, it really shook me because I, I ended up doing this improvisation with this this girl of a, a similar age as myself. And I just ended up crying. I ended up bawling in tears. And, and I just kept improvising and going. You know, it was almost like it was quite cathartic at the time, but it was mm-hmm. almost like it was like an outer body experience. And I remember the teacher just like stopped the class and we went behind these these large curtains and they were like, oh my God, how did you do that? What happened? And I I, I still don't have the answer. And I think that's the truth of why I do what I do. It's it's that outer body experience that has only happened on a few jobs that I really seek and I, I really hone in and trying to find that, that absolute truth. You know, it's almost like what I think maybe enlightenment might be. <laughs> you know true enlightenment it's just that it's like almost like time stands still it's a really profound feeling when you're that involved in somebody else's headspace I guess the understanding of somebody else's words and breathing somebody else's words I think is what is what happened there so mm-hmm. then I just became addicted and I trialed out for it was three drama schools and uh, Central School of Speech and Drama is where I ended up um, uh, which was amazing and, and the journey there should have happened over a course of three interviews where you, you go for an audition and then you're called back for another one and, and then if you're lucky enough to get into uh, the final round then you travel or I would have travelled back to London to participate in that but I managed to somebody was looking out for me that day anyway because I managed to do all three meetings in one day and then um, yeah I got into the drama school the drama um, teacher said I want you in my school and that was like my life changed overnight um, I don't think my mum actually thought that I'd get in. She came down to London with me and uh, she went shopping at Marks and Spencer's <laughs> and I phoned her like, you're crying. And then she's like, darling, it's okay. It's okay. I knew this would happen, but not to worry. On, on, on to the next. I'm coming to get you. I'm coming to get you. So then she uh, dropped, dropped her shopping and uh, got back on the tube and came and I was in tears. She gave me a big hug and I was like, oh, I got in. And then she was just like struck dumb. She just didn't know what to say or do or so that, that was, the beginning of, of a wonderful journey. How, how old were you then? Oh, I was 17. 17. Oh, okay. So I, I, like, you're still, you were still super young, but it wasn't like you found your passion at like five and you were like performing in the living room and, and being like, Oh, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Yeah, maybe like play, pretending to be Jerry from Spice Girls. There was a bit of that when I was younger it was definitely a lot of my my mum um, was a childminder part time, so there was always a hell of a lot of children around and mm-hmm. in the, the family dynamic. And I guess yeah, maybe just having so so a lot of energies to bounce off of and playtime must have yeah must have had an effect on my career choice for sure. 
So were your parents super supportive of, you know, you wanting to make this your career? Were they like, yes, totally be an actress, live out your dream? Or were they were like, you should have a backup? Um, I, they never said it to my face. Uh, <laughs> my mum did say, when I was trialling out for drama school, actually, my mum had told my boyfriend at the time, it's, I don't know why he's bothering, she's not going to get in, she's going to be disheartened and come back to Aberdeen. And um, so, But that, that was about it. I think when I got in and when I was at drama school, I, I, I had a few jobs when I was there. And I think it, just, it was just like a building in belief of their confidence, I think, that is what happened. And and now she's just so super sportive. She loves um, coming to me, coming with me to events or being on set. Or um, my dad, on the other hand, he doesn't he doesn't like big groups and big you know events or areas, so he tends not to. But <laughs> mum's there flying the flag, which is so brilliant. It's such a, a beautiful thing, time you know to give, and she does it so frequently. So you had to travel to London and kind of attend the school. Was that like your first? big way away from home yes yeah yeah my, my the first edition was my first time in London um and I remember when I got in we went on the London Eye and mom and I were like oh god tourists you know <laughs> so we were the ones <laughs> we were the tourists but we felt like we we're London had a proper kind of like let into London society now that I got in um so was that I mean I've been to London. I've never been to Scotland, but it's what, how big of a change was that for you? You know, like moving away from home and pursuing this dream. And was that something that you had known people to do? Like, is there, is there a big migration from Scotland to England to like pursue the dream of entertainment? No, not at all. Not at all. I think it's easier online now, of course, with the social media bracket, but, for me, like none of that existed. So it was all based on hope and hard work, I guess. And I knew absolutely nobody that had gone down, but I, I think it's just that belief of one person. And at the time it was this, this Saturday stagecoach drama um, teacher that, that kind of like gave me the impetus to come down. And I remember moving in with these three guys and it was hard. I had like four part-time jobs you know, in hindsight, I wish that I'd maybe read more Shakespeare or, but, you know, it's one of those things that's just survival. And, um, but it was a good time. And there was a lot of people in our years, so there was a lot of calling for attention and space. But, um, yeah, it was, it changed me as a person for sure. Um, I'm not sure it made me more hardy. I think the women of Scotland are hardy, probably because of the elements, because it's, it's <laughs> the majority of the time it's so cold and we have to be. Um, but it was just, I, I was just curious, you know, just, I have a curious spirit. And I think I, I just, was, it was just so awe-inspiring, the whole spectacle of this cosmopolitan city for me, that it was just, I was just hungry to get to know it. And there's just such a buzz and everybody's doing something. And, you know, that's, that's also who I am too. You know, I hope that I'm quite an optimistic person and that, you know, I, I choose to be happy most days. Um, and I know what makes me happy rather. So I tend to kind of focus on that daily. Um, but London was just a whole a whole different minefield. And I'd come from the countryside into this this city, but it was just there for the taking, I guess. Um, so, so when you, so did you grow up in like in a small town in Scotland and it was kind of like this shell shock for you? Or were you like, okay, I can do city life? No, it was a shell shock. I live in a town outside of Aberdeenshire in Scotland. So mm. I think it's the third largest city in Scotland. And yeah, we tend not to go into Aberdeen often. Um, my grandparents are from a farming background, so we spent a lot of time um, on their farm growing up too. So it, it was definitely, I, I wasn't streetwise. I think I had to learn that, but I was very grateful to, to have my peers around me. So, you know, the majority of time I was in drama school, warming up from 8 a.m. and you don't get home till like 8 p.m. And then I'd be working yeah, weekends and that's how I tended to kind of meet people mm -hmm. and build friendships, I guess. But it is, it's an anomaly. Uh, it, it feels like that when you're up in Scotland. It is like London, the big city, you know, it's like <laughs> for for the Brits, it's the same kind of a New York, isn't it? You're just, it's, it's just a dream, I guess. 
So being, so going there kind of after you finished your program, you know, a few years later, did you kind of know what your next steps were going to be? Or were you like the rest of us when we were like done with college or university were like, where do I go from here? Or did you have a clear sense of what you were going to do next? I, I, while at drama school, we, you're pushed to uh, the, I mean, the, the main aim being at drama school is to secure an agent who mm-hmm. then will get you work out with the drama school. So I was fortunate enough at the first showcase in the, the final year, the third year at Central to gain um, representation. And he put me up for, I think it was three jobs. So I managed to get two of those three and, and left uh, early. I, I returned to Central to finish the degree. But I was able to go out because that that's what it was about. It was There's only so much learning you can do without executing Mm-hmm. Right. So it was uh, and, and also I was able to travel, which was a big thing for me, not having done growing up, taking a year out to travel. Um, so, yeah, I ended up in Bulgaria doing um, a horror movie with Lance Hendrickson. And it was it was wonderful. And I learned a lot there and was able to come back and share with my peers there. But it's a totally different game being in front of a camera, having not had a lot of experience with being in front of camera at drama school to then go back and, and being in this this bubble almost, you know, we're all in this kind of cotton wool bubble. And then when you're actually out in the field, it's, it's tough, you know, <laughs> it's, it's tough. It's yeah. What was the biggest shock to you when you, like the first time you like booked a gig and you're like, Oh, I have to be in front of a gig. Like what was the biggest shock for you being on set? Um, I just think, probably how smooth the operation is it's like Mm. it doesn't you know I don't think the crew on any set is commended the way they should be it's just so slick and that all stems down to the AD team organizing your schedules you know like like once you secure the job it's all down to them to um, almost be your managers type thing on set and make sure it all runs smoothly and I think that was it it's the inner workings of the machine as I referred to earlier um was again, just so awe-inspiring that I, I just needed to be a part of it and understand. So I tended to ask a lot of questions. Um, as an actress, I tend to, I don't really like using stand-ins. Often they get stand-ins when they're just lighting sets and things. I quite like to be there still and just, you know, watch people at work, watch people live in their dream, doing what they love to do. And I think that was it initially that was maybe, yeah, it was just kind of scary, I guess initially but is what I've ended up loving being on set now did you feel like like I guess kind of when was the the period in time in your career where you're like I can do this full-time like when because you said that you were working four full-time jobs which Mm -hmm. is a lot because I've been there so when was the moment (laughs) like I've hustled so when was the moment that you were like okay I don't have to do all of that anymore I can just I can just act and I know that, you know, I can eat tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think, I think maybe that came with, with, uh, I did a um, TV show in the UK called Desperate Romantics. Mm-hmm. And I remember actually it was, it, it was a real struggle. Like the casting agent wouldn't even see me um, for, for the part because my name wasn't big enough at the time. Another redhead actually, in fact. Um, <laughs> and um yeah, no, I, I think it was, I always remember it was like the 18th of December, just before they were closing for Christmas. And my agent was hustling and just, please see Amy, because he knew that this six-month search of the world, you know, in that six-month search, they hadn't found his character, Lizzie Siddle. So then um, then I managed to get seen on the 19th, the last day. And I remember having a cold and not really understanding what big a deal it was so I did my prep but I was so ill that when I got there it was like like in the brief it said no makeup pale skin etc which is what, what I am but when I arrived there was all these beautiful redheads putting on lipstick and makeup and I just went in with like a snotty tissue and, <laughs> and did my best and and then they asked me to stay yeah yeah oh god yeah that was probably the day that my life really changed and um and then yeah and then they gave me extra scenes that scene other people hadn't read and they said look can you can you just stay around and I was like no 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 I have to go I have to go up to Scotland to see my parents it's Christmas time you know <laughs> snotting into this tissue um and then but I ended up doing a reading and then I got to the airport and my agent called and said look it's between you and another girl and then he called just before I was getting on the plane so I kind of reversed back and like dropped to my knees and just yeah cried my eyes out um 
and that was that was I yeah I would say the beginning because it was my first lead in the TV show, and yeah it was a huge challenge, different accent, something that wasn't me. Period piece, BBC Two, um, which was the pinnacle or at, at the, the time the pinnacle of what good work the BBC was doing was to mm-hmm. have it on um, BBC Two. So that was an honour and that was the game changer, I guess. So when you say a different accent, obviously like doing a British accent, I, in my naivete, I would just assume, I'd be like, oh, you probably hear it all the time. (laughs) So so like how hard was it really to like switch to that accent? (laughs) Like, you know, versus what you, I mean, you're, to you, you don't have an accent, but to me, you, you know what I mean? What was it like to switch to that? It was well. We had an accent coach, which was which was super, um, and it was just a case of daily repetition, I guess. But it's a whole different. They, they often say actually that Scots um, find it easier to get into an American accent than they do mm. a British accent because of the, the R's and um, tongue placement within the mouth. Um, but at drama school, we, we um, go through um, phonetics training. So it's just different emphasis where your tongue placement is and how you yeah just pronounce words. So it's just repetition, repetition. Listening, I guess it's one of those, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Do you feel like you were, so, like, did you find yourself slipping in and out of on set or in the show? Well, like you I watch it, you're back, you're like, oh, that's where my Scottish came out. I, I I hope that it wasn't no, I hope not in the show, but the addition, it was awful. I remember having to excuse myself. So I was like, even that sounds weird to me. I was like, so I apologize. Maybe I'll just do it in my own accent. This is terrible. <laughs> do you ever feel like you have to tone down like your own accent, even if you're playing someone Scottish? Because I feel like this just may be me, but even watching um Once Upon a Time, like I feel like your accent wasn't as pronounced as it is like yes. you and I talking now so I'm like do they ever tell you to tone down your natural voice <laughs> they do they do and actually they did for Merida and not not because I don't have like a Glaswegian one that a wee bit more like that and it's you know it's really kind of strong and I don't have a strong accent and for them to say that I was like wait I'm not sure I can tone it down anymore I'm not <laughs> sure I can make it more neutral <laughs> But the, uh, you know their their side of it is oh but yeah but it's for an American audience. I thought oh okay. So if you just give a semblance um, of somewhere foreign, they're like okay that should be fine that should be enough. That's it. So being yeah I once did no no yeah, go ahead what were you saying? I did a film a few uh, years ago called Run and it's set up in my native Aberdeenshire and the accent is so strong up there that um, we premiered in um, over in New York at uh, the film festival there and we had to have subtitles at the bottom of the screen. <laughs> I know! <laughs> terrible. You, so even you... I couldn't understand myself. <laughs> You're like, what did I say? <laughs> I hope it sounds good. Yeah. Mom, do you like it? <laughs> like, yeah. I hope it's fine. <laughs> so, I mean, now... Like you said, like that whole experience kind of like changed your life. Did you feel like after that you were just like booking, 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 going, going, going? Was there a new phase of like celebrity for you or? No, I think not really, if I'm honest. I think, um, yeah, I think it was a struggle. I was listening actually to the the Seven Year Debt podcast Mm. with your friend Kimi. And I just feeling like she's so she's so hilarious. I love it. Your dynamic is so great. Um, but the perseverance, she's fabulous. Yes, and, yes. But the perseverance uh, and resilience uh, of that woman is so commendable. And I, I, there were so much similarities actually in my career. It's like on the on the outset, it seems like I've been working all the time and a lot, but actually it's been quite intermittent. Um, mm. And at times, you know, it's not as as glamorized or as kind of like I don't know how to describe it. It's just not as as it wasn't as as in in it just wasn't a lot going on all the time. I think it was just I always had to fight, and 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 up until this this new job, I kind of always have still had to fight for jobs. You know, not getting off the back of other jobs or not this. It's been a real kind of yeah, 
stretch for me and it's you know a lot of time away from the family a lot of you know and I'm very grateful for it all don't get me wrong but it's it's not come as easy for me as as or or fallen into my lap as it may appear Mm. in those in those in between times what were you doing then if you know not working Um, for something else yeah, if I'm not, I, I tend to, like, when I get a script in, I tend to just um, cancel all family time or, you know, nights out, dinners out or anything. So even if, they, they, don't get me wrong, there were scripts coming in, but I just wasn't booking anything. So if there's scripts coming in, I just, I tend to cancel my life um, and just get my head down with with everything that I can do to research and to pick apart scripts um, and, make, and, yeah, make a character. So a lot of the time it was it was just... It was just grafting just to get to a stage where I could actually tape something, send it off. And then if it was a no, then I'd just go through the same process again. Um, or what I tend to do now um, is run away to Scotland quite a lot <laughs> and just be at home and, you know, be outside and be at one with nature in that way. But, yeah, it's my dream is to kind of get to that stage where it's, it's not, you know, the, the struggle is real, isn't it? I mean, for all of us right now, but to get to a stage in my career where it's, it, uh, it would be nice to choose you know, to take time to really think about what I want to say to the world and the sort of characters that I want to portray. Do you feel like there? You know, and that. Do you feel like you some jobs? You don't have to say which ones, but like some jobs, yeah. you kind of just took because you're like, oh, I need a, a check. Like, you know what I mean? Do you feel like you've had to make those that decision in your career? Um, I, I've definitely done it with two jobs. I definitely have. Um. Yeah, and they often came off the back of me having done a play for a long time. Mm. So I always like to regroup and do a play every few years um, just because I think it makes you a better actor. I think, you know, we as actors, we don't get enough time to mm-hmm. sit down and pull apart what we what we desire and want to pull apart. It's very much kind of immediate and you arrive on set, this is what you have to do. And, you know, it's the time you put into it that you reap the rewards. And And, yeah, so a lot of the time... Yeah, there was a few times after having done a play that I thought, actually, I'm just going to need to do this. I'm going to need to do this, which I I, I don't want to to be in that position. But uh, so many people are, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. grateful to have that sort of work there. And actually, sometimes those jobs I've ended up having a whale of a time on and meeting Mm -hmm. some amazing human beings. There's always such positives from those smaller jobs, I guess. Can you tell me about rejection for you and like what that feels like and how you deal with that because being a working actress you know being in a creative field like it part of that is rejection so what is you know what does that feel like for you it's got it's I don't know how many times I've been rejected I told no in this business but it's way more than the amount of jobs the culmination of, of jobs that I've ended up getting and I think for me um I think like like now I know how to deal with anxiety. So if I'm anxious of a day, I know that like keeping fit for me is such a huge, it's such a big deal. Um, I've really taken up meditation. Um, uh, there's a brilliant um, podcast, The Breath Pod, that I tend to listen to mm-hmm. every day, and he's he's changed my life. Um, and two of my best friends are yogis, so I, I do a lot of yoga training and things and I think had I have known this when I was younger it wouldn't have got to me so much but I I, I've always been quite good I think I get it from my mom it's just like right okay you know what's for you will never go by you it's taken me a lot to understand that but also I've come from quite a sporty background so there's been a lot of game failures or performance failures in the past and all you you can do is just pick yourself up and move on and I know that's easier said than done but I know I'm how I tend to do that mm-hmm. and a lot of it is communicating now you know it's like I wish kind of like I went through drama school now um you know <laughs> just with the, the amount of well the amount of support networks that are out there you know mm-hmm. and um and the fact that, that you know there's no stigma around mental health now and we're able to talk and even I communicate more and I'm not ashamed you know about who I am or, or what I feel. And, and that's the main thing. It's like I'm communicating all these characters, taking on so much of other people's words and energies. And how does that translate? I've not really given my body time to to breathe and think in, in its own natural way. You know, and I think that's why, especially now that I, I've, I've been spending a lot of lockdown, uh, lockdown in Scotland, 
Um, and it's almost like I've come full circle. I've gone back to my roots that I ran away from. That I didn't want to have as part of me anymore, you know, that I was too good for maybe back back in the day. Whereas now that's what's given me my, you know, substance, mm-hmm. the sustenance. It's kind of like sustaining me that way. Um, and also CBD. I found CBD, which is a game changer too. <laughs> and anxiety, yeah. Do you, so did you feel like you weren't, I mean, it sounds like, I'm trying to figure out the correct way to phrase this, like, did you feel like you weren't prepared to deal with, like, the mental toll it was going to take, or do you feel like you were, because, you know, you, you'd done sports, so you'd understood failure, or was this, like, a different type of, of, of failure or mental, you know, acuance that you needed? I would say both, because... Yeah, losing games, I mean, that cuts you to your core, but at least that was part of a team. I played netball um, for for my local um, what is net- school. What is netball? Stop it! I don't! Um, <laughs> only the best sport in the world. Is it oh, like basketball, or? It's kind of similar, but the rules differ, and not all characters can the characters. Not all players can score. And and you you've got your boundaries within the certain parameters. Okay. So it's not like basketball that anybody can run up and down, and that's probably the only rule of basketball, right? You can have a lot of people go she doesn't not condemning basketball. But I think it's one of like the biggest sports in I think South Africa and also Australia. Okay, fact. so we're just behind, is what you're saying. The US yeah, is just yeah, yeah. vastly behind. <laughs> I mean, honestly, makes sense. Like, if you really think about it. So. <laughs> so, but, yeah, that was such a, a, you know, I would wake up in the morning and shoot hoops um, before school. I would go to school. I would come back um, and have food and then go back to train at night. So I, I basically did that every day. And then um, I kind of was training for Scotland for a while. So I would go down to Largs, an area outside Glasgow, and and have the kind of national um, training sessions every couple of weeks. So I think it was that kind of, yeah, again, resilience to, um, to defeat in the end. But it's very different when it's personal. Mm-hmm. And it's taken me a long time in the business to kind of go, this isn't about, you know, sometimes it is about your face fitting, but it's you, you can't take that to bed at night. You know, like Stanislavski, a, a practitioner that we all learn at drama school, of method acting, he always says, you know, you leave your troubles on the doorstep before you walk into a space. And that's what you have to do when you walk. You know, you just have to know that it isn't you, that, you know, maybe, like I went for something the other day and it was, they were trying to fit together a whole family. And they were just that, it was just, you just, you're not going to fit into this family dynamic that we've already set up. And I mean, what can I do? Fight it or save that and use that energy for something more productive? Mm-hmm. you know and at times sometimes things that I haven't got I've ended up getting stuff like one that's way bigger two that's you know giving me something for my heart and soul and and that I've learned so much more on I think oh god there must be somebody out there that's watching over us truly you know mm-hmm. um because that wouldn't have happened had I have done this other piece of work and I guess and it's even now like with the show that I'm filming at the moment it's like it's like after years of rejection and rejection, it's like this is actually the, the best show and the most well-written thing that I've read probably ever and character-wise probably ever. And had I have got all those no's in the past, I wouldn't be doing this one way. You know, I wouldn't be playing this phenomenal human. I'm, are you, so I'm assuming you're talking about the Nevers, which, yes. um, <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah, I like have watched the trailer quite a few times and I'm very excited uh, from when it comes out, it looks so interesting. Um, how are you feel? I mean, you said it's like one of the best scripts you you know read. So how are? But other than that, like, how are you feeling about it? It it really when it came on my doorstep. Yeah, I, I remember when the character came in and this script was just this. It was almost like they wanted to see if I. Yeah, just just what I could do with the script, and and I remember being in the audition room when it, when I got to the next stage and, and met with Joss, and I said to him um, that I picked this apart and this means this and this, and he says, Amy, I wrote it in five minutes. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> you know what I'm like? I've spent weeks trying to figure out what the answers are, and there are none. 
Um, but I, I love characters like that that fire me up, and she's such a live wire and a firecracker. But she's she's just yeah, she's she's on the rampage, and you know her her whole mission is to kind of dissolve the patriarchy, and and it comes from an amazing place. Um, and when you see as a viewer why she's doing that and what she's gone through, it's you know it's it's, it's fascinating and it's so timely, and it's so present and. That's what I was trying. I was trying to. I'm like, is she like the villain in this? Is she gonna be a hero? So, how do you see her? Is she a little bit of both? I, I see her as a bit of both. Um, yeah, she's she's spunky. She's 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 a lot of different um, archetypes. I would say she's very playful. Um, she does have a vendetta, and nothing is going to stop her succeeding. And and um, yeah seeking the revenge that she needs to, I guess. Um, yeah, it, it'll be fun when you see who she's with um, character-wise and um, and the storylines because it's it's almost, it's like an amalgamation of so many different genres. And even I sometimes am like, what is going on? What? Wait, that's like steampunk, then it's fantasy, then it's like this really dark humour. But it's, it's all, this show is all about the language once again. Joss done such an amazing job with the scripts and especially Malady. It's, it's, honestly, it's just every script that came in just blew my mind as to the layers of the whole show as a whole and also Malady's presence within the whole hierarchy um, and trajectory of the show. It's just, it really is colossal and him and the, and, and the writers so far have done such a great job. Can you give me like a quick synopsis to kind of encapsulate what the show is really about. So, like, I know it's about, you know, the, the touched folks, and you are playing, like, this underground mm-hmm. kind of badass woman on a vendetta, but, like, it's also Victorian-era kind of period. Like, so what... Yeah. So, so what's, like, a quick <laughs> synopsis about what it is? Yes. Oh, golly. It really is where to start. Um, well, the, the touched, I think, as you see um, in the trailer, they've, they've got maybe kind of mild superpowers. Um, and it's, it's about a group of Victorian women who are brought together um, through their, the, the collection, through the fact that they've all got these superpowers. But you find out that it's not everyone that in London society that has these superpowers or that are given them. And during the season, you, you find out why. Um, and then you also find out the different factions of touched um, and what their their missions eventually involve, and also that there's yeah there's something bigger at play throughout the whole viewing of of um, of what you will see within Nevers, especially the first six episodes. There's a lot of ground covered, but what I love about HBO is they've given us the space to do it. Is this? Yeah, they're, they're really- is this kind of like I see? This is what I, I want to know. Like, for actors and actresses, you know, abroad, being having a footing on like a like a large presence on an American stage is that kind of the dream for you? Is that kind of the dream for actors and actresses who you know are abroad? Because like this will give you such a. I mean, besides obviously once upon a time, but like if this will give you such a opening up to other folks is this something that you want work towards absolutely yeah I would think so I I was um, fortunate enough to apply for the green card American green card and I got that so that was the plan to come to America um, and work um, over your side of the pond (laughs) and I spent some time in, in, um, in LA and I think by the end of it I just I missed home and the wild and just uh, yeah I miss my friends so much that I decided to decamp back here um I'd love to go back and work but I, I'm not sure about living I'd love to, to do New Orleans I'd love to work there and explore I'd love to you know explore more of America but more from a personal love of your country rather than you know like just a work just side. a work thing um yeah but it is and HBO is like I, I don't think like you can get a higher caliber um, you know, kind of network to work for, and they've been—they honestly, they, I've never been 
um, you know, gifted such wonderful people to be around in my life. Everybody's, it's a smooth ship they're running, but they're also like a gracious, very involved company to work with, which, you know, sometimes you just, you don't know until you're in it, do you? Really? <laughs> um, but yeah, they're, they're lovely people. So can you take me through a day of like what, what shooting is like on the Nevers for you? You know, what it's like, wake up, early call time, coffee, do some stunts or like wait around all day, maybe do some stunts. <laughs> this, yeah, this AD team is slick. So there's not too much waiting around when we're in. I mean, if there is, that's our job. Like one of my pet hates is actors who complain when they're on set or complain about waiting around. It does my nut in. I'm like, there's a thousand other actors that would take your, you know, be so grateful mm-hmm. for where they are in life right now. But um, sorry to digress there. Um, but yeah, on set, yeah, early pickup, um, arrive. I often do because of Malady's accent. I do voice work in the morning with the glorious Sally Haig, voice coach, um, who's been wonderful in this for me. And normally, yeah, breakfast um, in the makeup trailer. So there's a lot of it's majority my hair, but they put in weird pieces for Malady um, because obviously it looks as though she hasn't washed and she's got a numerous amount of diseases, <laughs> namely on her spit on her face, which you can actually see. So it's a lot of that, and then some prosthetics and things which just take time, and and then straight to rehearse. So it's just on set, and and we've been gifted time with this, and also during the pandemic we stopped obviously a few times, um, so that that allowed space to breathe and to talk um, and to rehearse. So by the time we got onto set, we kind of knew even so far as new certain camera angles. That's how much time we were gifted to kind of explore and get this right because we all want to get this right um, how, and use the time. How has it been filming in a, a pandemic? Like, you know. Awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really, well, it's hard because initially it was, you know, it was, um, let's not use plastics on set. And they were so great with that. You would get your lunches, you know, on, on plates. They started, this was pre-pandemic. Um, and then you get proper cutlery and proper this. And obviously at the start of the pandemic, we were able to keep shooting. Um, for the first couple of weeks um, and then and then we got shut down and then when we came back everything obviously had changed so it was back to plastic everybody had to you know eat on their own there's a queue system um, you know everything's partitioned um, and more often not you would you would have um, you know either go and get your own lunch or if somebody would get it for you um, just so you you know they tried to isolate the, the actors as much as they could um, because there's only one of us, I guess, was the whole ethos and idea there. Um, but being on set, it was hard. It, it was good because we were all being tested. Everyone from from drivers, you know, the whole crew to actors mm-hmm. were tested three times a week. Mm-hmm. So if we were going to find anything out, we would pick it pick it up. Um, but the actors were able to, even during rehearsals, like not wear masks. Um, but it was only them on set rather than the only difference I really find was instead of being on set and everybody being there doing their job at the same time um, it was one department in and out it was almost like a tag team mm, which mm. was a bit weird but again I was able to stay and watch that you know just just be my own stand in almost and watch that work but everybody kind of just I think HBO the studios that they bought um, over in Ealing in London they actually put in different um, air filtration systems mm-hmm. um so at least we, were, we weren't regurgitating the same stale air so it was a lot fresher that was new and then each department had its own they kind of built tunnels coming out of um, the building which would allow different part the departments to stay away from other departments oh shoot so they went yeah the, they went full out yeah, yeah they went full yeah they really did yeah and that's why there's only golly i think it took us two years to film only six apps <laughs> so I know it was just so kind of, but at least we got it done. Gee, there's lots of shows that have had to be cancelled. Mm-hmm. I just think they're really behind us. And and last September, they told us, you know, that we're gonna we're gonna cease filming until next June because they they envisioned a second wave, which obviously did happen. So we we pick up shooting. It's prepping now, but the actors will pick up actual shooting at the end of June for the final six eps. So I thought, okay, so I had read, so that's on me. I had read somewhere that it was going to be eight episodes, but it's going to really be 12. 12. It's going to be 12. Okay, so is mm-hmm. there going to be like a mid-season break kind of situation? Exactly. Okay, okay. Man, yes. I hate a cliffhanger. I mean, 
I know. <laughs> like, that is my the honest. I love it. It's funny. It's I think like with streaming now, this is like my my most hated thing and my most loved thing at the same time is like because you well HBO sometimes isn't they'll you know do it every week, but like a lot of streaming services now they'll release like the whole series at once, and so you can like binge the whole thing. But then I'm like, but why isn't the next season already in my hands? Because I've already finished this one. So it's a good and bad thing. Because then, like, you know, when you have to wait every week, I'm like, I don't want to wait till next week. But then you binge through it, and then you want the next season. That's so it. I it's know. so hard. It's it's a phenomenal cliffhanger. You, you, uh, at the end of episode six, you figure out the audience has let in on a lot of questions that they will have. Um, you, you figure out why certain people are behaving the way they are. It's it's a brilliant cliffhanger to end on, and one that is w- way better than stop starting during a pandemic. And mm-hmm. I remember there was there was one huge scene. I'm trying try not to <laughs> say things that maybe I should. <laughs> Listen, you're trying to keep your job. You got another six episodes yeah, to fill. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the pandemic, yeah, it just involved a hell of a lot of uh, other. Um, uh, kind of stand-ins on set and then it it ended up going from like a phenomenal uh, amount down to to just about 50 people on set just because of the pandemic and social distancing and etc so that was that was hard because it's especially for Malady it was was a huge moment for her Um, but everybody's just kind of kind of just fitting in I Mm. think everybody's found their place already which is a good thing I guess so you were talking about you know traveling for work and you're kind of like by yourself when you when you did once one time is like the longest time you're by yourself do you feel that similar sense now because you're shooting in a pandemic it's like because you can't really all just hang out together and just like be around you know all the time it's you know watching where you're sitting and walking and eating and this back and forth is that that similar feeling yeah yeah it really is because I just go home or did just go home to my home in London. Um, I mean, I was fortunate enough, um, I've been working in Germany, um, filming a film called Spencer out there. Mm-hmm. And there was three beautiful cast members who I became friends with. And yeah, we had a really good dynamic, the three of us. But again, we couldn't hang out at night. So we're all staying in the same like apartments. But and we weren't actually filming together a lot of our scenes. So um, we'd often go out on, on socially distanced walks together, things like that, go and see the Berlin Wall or, you know, just go outdoorsy. But it was a shame because they were, they were really phenomenal humans that I would have loved to have been able to sit down, have a drink with them, you know, dissect the script, um, you know, just that sort of enjoyment. So... Again, yeah, it, it's right. I kind of was taken back to those times playing Merida on my own hotel room. I mean, champagne problems, right? But it's, it's how you feel. You know? So, yeah, I also yeah. wanted to ask you about Spencer. So, thank you. You're doing my job for me. Um, I, I just, I want, I mean, you're filming, you know, the story about Princess Di. Um, I don't know how connected scotland feels to the royal family as as such (laughs) but you know like what's that been like what role are you you know playing are you i mean obviously you're filming with like kirsten stewart so that's like a very big name um so what's that been like oh it's yeah this is stephen knight um of peaky blinders he wrote the script Mm -hmm. and it's a wonderful uh, kristen is phenomenal it's it's going to be a very different take to to that. Not different take. I mean, it is it's the, the actors take on such an iconic woman. But Kristen, the script allows Kristen to um to really indulge more in um Diana's mental state at the time. It's all set basically around Diana's last Christmas at Sandringham um, before the divorce with Charles is made official. Um, so it's just yeah, it just kind of. In, in the Pablo Lorraine, who's the director, and his kind of style, it's a, it's a bit more kind of of a dream sequence and, you know, just really delving into how solitary she found her existence within that hierarchy um, and the pressures of, or the pressures put on her by being part of that um, firm, um, as somebody used the other day. But, you know, like, uh, for me, it's, um, I come in, it's all based around this book, The Rise and Fall of Anne Boleyn. 
So I actually play Anne Boleyn, who comes to her in, in you know, dream flashbacks or dream sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, and entices her and goads her. And yeah, you, you fig- you'll figure out the dynamic um, through Diana, I guess. But it just kind of shows the parallels with, with what Anne went through and Diana went through and how similar both were. Does Scotland um, have the same, like, deep connection to the royal family as, like, say, England does? Like, that same no. kind of, like, pride, like, kind of thing? Okay. <laughs> yeah, no. I would just say you're either a royalist or not. I wouldn't say that it was, uh, yeah, Scotland over. Although, Balmoral Castle, I've spent, that's the, it was the Queen's Mum's castle, but um, that's where they go during the summer months. Um, Prince Philip and the Queen um, and that's near where I grew up it's near where my mum actually lives now um, so when I go home that I often have to pass Balmoral Castle um, <laughs> when I'm going out on walks or hikes and whatnot and it is it's so beautiful there's actually a, a castle trail in Scotland that takes you around about some dilapidated but the majority mm-hmm. are still standing um, castles which is quite fun and that's part of it um, Balmoral Castle because it's, it's on Royal Deeside which is a beautiful river, um, very um, renowned for salmon fishing, actually. One of the best in the world. (laughs) Uh, It's a beautiful place if you ever go um, to go and see. Yeah. So, okay, that's what I want. I was like, is it just just England who's like, or is it like the whole United Kingdom, like is very royal, stenched in that kind of thing, or is it just, just them? So it's interesting to know that like, Scotland's like, well, the, there's some people with crowns and funny accents, like, you know, kind of thing. Like, not as a, <laughs> not as big of a deal. <laughs> but through the, I mean, through the movie Spencer, do you feel like you are finding out things that you didn't know before? Were you surprised, shocked by anything? Um, I, not really. I don't think it's, it really is more on, on Diana's mental state is the focus. Um, I think we'll we'll see the inner workings of what she went through, um, and how how much she tried to fight um, against what she was made to do and wear at certain times, um, and think and how you know her decorum, um, all of the above that the the crown broached on too. But I think that's maybe the word is broached. I think. Mm-hmm. Stephen Knight's script really delves into the psyche of of Diana at the time. Um, yeah. And so I know, you know, mental well-being is something that you're such a champion for. Is that something that drew, drew you to the script? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, myself, you know, when, when we were talking about rejection and you know, it's, I try not to use negative connotations, though. You know, failure, you know, this, it's not. It's it's something your brain is, it's almost like a muscle. It needs to be worked on every day. And that's something that I've only learned recently. Mm. Um, and um, my, I've, I actually work for a, a charity organization. It's my cousin, his um, mother, unfortunately, committed suicide about 13 years ago. And he wrote a book. He's a, um, a fighter pilot for the Air Force. So he wrote a book kind of linking the two, you know, what, what his trials and tribulations, not, you know, growing up without a mother and the way that, that um, she lost, or the way that, yeah, she lost her life. And also the need for speed. It's called the sign of speed. Um, and he often does a lot of charity cycles. So I kind of got on that band one few years ago. We cycled from the West Coast of Scotland to the East Coast of Scotland um, for this charity um, heads together. And that was the start of me really thinking about actually, you know, the voice that maybe I would like to think that I would have during my career. Like, especially with Once Upon a Time, it's, I had to kind of, on my Instagram, I've, I've taken off the reply section because during playing Merida, I had a lot of young girls coming to me saying that, you know, they were border, you know, they, they wanted to commit suicide, they wanted to end their lives, they wanted to, and as much as I tried to be there, I, I reached a stage where I was like, actually, this isn't my job. 
you know, and what if I give wrong advice to someone? What if I give, you know, I'd be able to divert them to somebody and to help? And I think by me participating in certain organizations, which I hope to do a lot, lot more of, um, that is my way to help these these young women, you know, to deal with their mental health and the and and then being subjected to, you know, the evils of social media at this time too. Um, and that's why I, I, I'm doing a play um, in um, London, and it's a one-woman show called Harm, and it's just um, just about this woman. It's it's her. She it's, it's kind of holding the mirror up to social media and to what it's doing to the, especially the female psyche. But um, yeah, it's it's just about her. This woman becoming obsessed with an influencer on social media, and it really goes. She starts to lose her mind. And it's going, you know, it's showing the extremes of somebody living alone and what effect that can have on that when they start to believe what they're seeing on the social channels. You know, it's ridiculous and it's how quickly that can have an effect. And yeah, I and mean, we just got to keep up the conversation, don't we? But you've got to understand it to be there. Um, and last year during lockdown, um, I, I had my like first panic attack ever, I think. And I was working for this charity organisation in, in Aviemore in the middle of nowhere in, in Scotland. So I was living in this pod for four months, helping out in the land and stuff. Um, this is when the, the Nevers stopped filming. And yeah, I just had this, just when I was just on my own and just, I don't know, just pressures of, I don't know, just the world and, you know, and, and having time to just be alone on as well. And to hold the mirror up again, I was like, wait, who am I? What am I going to do with my time? Like, this is... It's a lot of pressure going through what we're going through. But then I had to be thankful for the fact that I had open space and I wasn't in an apartment block in London, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Um, and that's why I want to just keep dialogue, keep keep talking about it because everybody's experience is different, but yet so, so unified or we can become so unified in the discussion of mental health, which I think is imperative for me at the moment, let alone all my friends, you know, who go through, ups and downs and peaks and troughs the same as everybody else does in the world you know just keep that dialogue flowing I think is 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 the only way out you just have to go through it I think is it you know and and also to, to bring yourself back to the present and to be mindful is to you know to be grateful for what we have like sometimes when I'm out on a walk I, I just I'm, I'm so grateful for my legs you know take it back to the simple sometimes is, is how we be we can start to navigate life if we're finding it hard, I think. Um, yeah, that's it. Keep it simple. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I agree because I think, you know, right now in this pandemic, like, we're starting to really see the, the troubles that mm-hmm. have plagued so many of us and its impact, like, how, fr- how fragile so, mu- so many things were. So many systems, so many people so many ideas that we have like how fragile it was and how quickly they can break down and like for me as someone who's always had anxiety like I was like yeah. oh so everybody's finally on my level so for for me like, so everyone's yeah. finally on my level um but I think mental taking care of like your mental health and well-being like is part of healthcare, and I think we're really starting to see hopefully starting to see that really become part of the discussion um, with this pandemic, because while everyone, you know, being inside can keep you physically healthy, we see how slowly but surely everyone's like not mentally healthy. Mm -hmm. So like, like you were saying, like sitting alone, like with your thoughts and just you and being like, Oh my gosh, like all the things that I didn't have time to think about, I now have to think about it and like how scary that can be. Absolutely. And I think also, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's the silence that's scary as well. You know, knowing oneself, doing the work they say in yourself. But sometimes that is just sitting by a stream and going, actually, what is my truth? What do I want my truth to be? You know, how do I make myself happy rather than relying on external things? You know, people just, the, the, the abuse of, you know, people are abusing things in excess at the moment because they're isolated. I'm, you know, referring to maybe uh, drugs and alcohol, etc. And, you know, the blame game, people are just sitting on the social channels, blaming people, cursing, cussing, you know, all this without finding out, without being sympathetic to what every single human on the planet, as you say, is going through right now. 
and it's the varying degrees and 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 that's and we that's how we have to be sympathetic is to understand that it's that I am not the next person and that person's what their traumas or or their past or what they're going through now you know needs to be nurtured as much as selfishly I need to give that to myself that's something else that I've actually had to learn is saying no because I'm such a yes person but actually what happened in LA especially was that I was on alone faced with me again and, and mm-hmm. but if there was an event or a friend I would I would say yes and go out all the time and then I was like I burnt out I literally burnt out it just became too much and my mm-hmm. brain was fried and it took a friend just to be like are you okay and I was just like no I, actually I'm not okay and it took me you know I actually had to phone home and just be like I don't know what the you know I just don't know what I'm doing out here I don't know why I'm doing this um and you know and that was a hard kind of admission um for me but like the ever since then it's just I just feel like I've just I'm making the right choices and I'm doing it for me and I know that kind of there's a quote I've got in Driftwood I love quotes but it's it's up in that in the house in London and it's like um being alone I recharge my batteries mm. and I got that when I was doing a play like 12 years ago or something and only now does it make sense Mm-hmm. So, so again, like as much as I'm saying it's scary being alone, I, I, I've learned to I've I've sat in it, and that is I've gained strength from it. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. as much as I know I can pick up the phone, but I think I, I have a real the phone really stresses me out. I, I really <laughs> I'm still not dealing with this. You know, <laughs> like, I've got you know, WhatsApp off. You know, everything's just not uh, right staring me in the face to be able to use it, and it takes a lot to. It's almost like a challenge every day to kind of put on do not disturb just to have you time, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. that that's the only thing that's going to help with your headspace in that way. So, where do you see yourself next? You know what what would be the dream? You know for for you for your career. Mm. Oh, I really I really hope that the Nevers does well and does what it, it says on the tin because there's just been so much love gone into this over two years, you know? And I think truly this is a role of the of a lifetime for me, mm. for everyone involved in this show. Um, so I, w- I want to see this for the cast and crew, for the stunt guys, they were so amazing <laughs> on this as well. For everyone, I wanted to see it succeed. I really do. Um, I'd love to get, well, I mean, I'm doing this play. This is another dream. It seems to, this year is... is for me, kind of things come together or have come together in this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to see those ride out, I think, and and be able to spend more time with my family and to, and to, to work with people who inspire me. Um, there's, you know, the Lady Macbeth and roles like that that I want to play, but I've been gifted such like dramatic roles in my career that that's why I feel blessed. I've had a lot of, you know, yeah, delving into such heroic um, women is almost like a there's never going to be a pastime for me they just seem to come to me at times that I need them as well you know and trusting mm-hmm. that when they come it's the right time and trusting that this is what's meant to be and to jumping in you know and to taking more risks I guess is another thing but but you can do that in with good manners and humility I think and that's what I'm just trying to be and to preach what does a um, risk look like for you you said you wanted to take more risks. What does what? A, you said you wanted to take more risks? So what does a risk look like? Yeah. Look, look like yeah, yeah, maybe. Well, I mean, this one woman show is a risk, I yeah. guess. Um, I said to myself when we when I knew the Nevers was taking six months plus off, I said I don't know what I could do that challenge me as much as maladies challenged me emotionally, physically, mentally, um, and then this play came. And I thought, okay, this is the next challenge. Is doing all that, but doing it alone, I guess. Um, so, so that's that's there. But also, it's it's the challenge of it's almost like the Godfather trying to get back. <laughs> the, ch- the challenge is always, will I be able to do this again? Just because there's so many layers in there, you know, and just to explore her and to give her the dedication she deserves, I guess, is the next challenge for now. But. I'm enjoying tra- traveling again, even though it's, it's hard to do so. Um, and I love that side of the business. And I've been blessed to be able to do that a lot with through my um, the jobs that I do get. So I'd maybe like to explore that a bit more and, and spend more time with my loved ones, I guess. You know, um, 
and to show them beautiful, you know, things that I've learnt and seen during lockdown would be mm. would be lovely. And and also just to do more charity work. That's what I really want to do. Gift my time because that's what we've learned is the most precious thing. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um so the last question I ask all my guests. Uh thank you so much obviously for spending time with me. But um how thank do you, you define being a woman or womanhood? How do I find being uh I more than just what the name is, I find that it's there is an Adriana Lima quote and it was like along the lines of, you know, like um being a woman is like showing, you know, dedication, discipline, self-respect, dignity, patience to all other women as part of the womanhood, you know? I think it's it's a being a woman is being part of a a team, a very special, unique, um, otherworldly team, resilient team. I like that. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Amy, thank you. thank you so, so much for oh, taking you. this time with me. This was great. This, uh, this was great. This was truly a joy. Many a dream come true. Um, do you have anything that you want to shout out? give kudos to promote before we head out you thank you for thank you for your time (laughs) truly that was good we should maybe say to everyone listening that was my first podcast i know for um, for going in Uh, (laughs) but it's lovely you made me you made me think as well you know just 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 what we're in it's just about being grateful and i think that's the main thing grateful for what we have now and and looking after one another, that's all we can do. That's it on a base level, truly. Awesome. So thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for the questions. Oh my gosh. Thank and love. <laughs> this was a treat. This is like, oh, this is so fun for me. Um, y'all, Amy's going to be in The Nevers, which looks so good. And I feel like by the time this podcast comes out, it will already have like been on, t- been on HBO. Um, so check it out anyway and (laughs) i'm gonna link the um the trailer in the in the show notes um and spencer when does spencer come out do you know yet or november november okay so spencer's coming out in november so that's gonna be i'm assuming a trailer's coming soon hopefully cross fingers still filming at the moment so it'll probably be a few months a few months okay Uh, I'm also very much looking forward to that. Uh, You're just a rad lady. Like, I'm lucky to get to interview you is what I'm saying. Um, I'm the lucky one. (laughs) Come on. Um, But thank you all to everyone for listening. Thank you, Amy, again. If you'd like to connect with the show, and please, please do, uh, follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at PrettyFaceLady3. And if you'd like to connect with me because you want to say hi, you want to come on the show, you know someone who'd like to come on the show, please email me at prettyfacewomen at mtapfpodcast.com and talk to you soon. Bye-bye.